Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity. I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the I Create Daily podcast. I'm Devani. And I'm Leora. And we're here today with one of the favorite thought leaders that we've been following for a few years, Richie Norton. I first learned about him when my daughter Devani kept sharing about him and talking about this amazing guy that she was connected with online through one of the groups that she was involved in. And one of the things that we had in common is that he has a lot of kids and he homeschools his kids, uh, or he and his wife are homeschooling his kids. The other thing we have in common is he's living in Hawaii, has been for a number of years, and I grew up in Hawaii. Um, so, And he's an entrepreneur and creator. Yeah, definitely. So, so welcome, Richie. It's awesome to have you. You guys are the best, and I love the mother-daughter duo. You guys are like the best family ever. I want to grow up to be just like you. <laughs> this is amazing. Awesome. So cool. So you're, cool. Off, you're off to a running start for sure, and we're trying to catch up with you as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so a little bit about Richie. Go ahead. So, yeah, I uh, Richie and I connected when I was um, working with Scott Oldford, Um and he was in Scott Oldford's Facebook group, and I, was, I saw him as a member in there and sort of looked around in his profile and started talking to him, and he was like, doing all these cool things, traveling with his family, he was constantly online, so he's a big social media influencer, and he's just constantly putting himself out there, creating every day, he's a blogger, author, speaker. He's written two books. Um, one is The Power of Starting Something Stupid. What an awesome name. Right. And said <laughs> what to do about it. So, yeah, that's who, that's the bio of who Richie is. And now we're going to learn more about his creativity and how he helps other creators because he's also the founder of a company called Product. Proud, like P-R-O-U-D, product, like product, but proud.com. And what I love about it is that you serve creators, um, which, and I want to, I want to, we, we want to know so many things. So we're going to have to rein ourselves in and start slowly. But I want to back up just a few steps. This morning, I started my morning with you um, okay. about eight years ago in, Brig in uh, BYU, Brigham Young University. You were teaching a class. Your pregnant wife was in there with you, and you were teaching. In fact, you came up with the concept, in, or at least you said in the class, the concept to the students that resumes are dead. You were teaching the students. You were, you were sharing your story of how you became an entrepreneur, which started back when you were a boy, basically. And you were encouraging these college students to basically take their life in their own, hand, own hands and be the decision makers and be the influencers of their own lives and not rely on someone else to you know, get them the job. In fact, if they were to get a job, let it be a freelance basically at that time. So, so we kind of know how you got started as an entrepreneur cool. yourself, but our audience doesn't know. So please share a little bit about your story. Oh, I am so amazed. That's like way far back stuff that you're watching. <laughs> Thank you, that's really cool. So yeah, I mean, I guess I get my, got my start really when I was a kid, like you are mentioning when one day, I think I was 16, and I told my dad that I want to get a summer job. And he said, 
you know, don't get a job. Your job is to like go to school, get good grades. You're going to be working your whole life. And at the time I'm thinking like, dads aren't supposed to say that, right? You're supposed to be like, like go, yeah, son, go get a job. And uh, I thought that was weird, but he was an entrepreneur himself. And he said, what you want to do? I'm like, yeah, but I want, I want money. I want to like buy things. Like I want to be a human. No, I want to do stuff. I want to have control over my life and not ask for money and you know, those kind of things. So he said, okay, well, if you want money, I lived in San Diego. He said, go to the watermelon patches out in El Centro and ask the farmers if they have some irregular sized watermelons. I know this is weird, but like, that's how specific he was. Yeah. Uh, I think he had a client out there that, that uh, was a farmer. I think that's kind of how it, he thought of the idea. Anyways, he said they can't sell those watermelons to the grocery store. See if you can like, just take our family van, take out the seats and fill it up with watermelons. And so that's what we did. Me and my brother went, he was 14, I was 16, we went down there and we just filled our van with watermelons. It was so low to the ground that like it was like hitting the ground whenever we go over above. <laughs> and, and then I just went through all my friends, parents, and anybody I could find and just, you know, this is before all like cell phones were cool and texting. And I just, you know, called people, said 4th of July is coming up. I have watermelons that are bigger than the ones at the stores. They're just weird looking. <laughs> Buy them from me. And how can they say no to a kid? And I made more money that day just from selling those watermelons than I would have made the whole summer working minimum wage. And looking back, I was like, wow, I learned how to not necessarily trade time for money, right? And that was a huge deal. And so through that experience and others, I always just had it in my mind, like, well, I'm going to start businesses, you know? And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've worked in for different companies and other different things, but there's nothing like carving your own path out in life you know um, I can share more but let me stop there and see where you want to go with that well you okay so yeah there's so many places we can go um, right now you're wearing a cat a cap rather called <laughs> ruckus right and so you and your yeah. wife have started something new so maybe we can just take a big leap to the to the present okay. and see what you're doing with that oh, okay so um, ruckus list is a YouTube channel we started and it was more a way to, well, one, to try and stay relevant because YouTube and videos is everything right now. And it's becoming more and more so. So I wanted to play in that field. But our stories and help lives and offer some real value to help them learn there's other ways to do it. And so it's, it's less of here's how you should live your life. And it's less of like, look how all the cool things that we're doing. It's kind of a combination. Like, here's some ideas to help you do your thing, but do it, and here's how we make it happen. So it's really fun. But it all started, really, um, my wife and I, after we got married, we had kids, you know, just right off the bat, four boys. And during that time, um, when we had three boys, my wife's brother lived on and off um, with us. And he passed away at 21 in his sleep. And I could tell this story like a lot more sad, but like when it happened, it, it completely, uh, it shook us. Mm. It destroyed us in a lot of ways because we realized that life is short. And even though that's cliche, it doesn't make any true, right? Right. And we miss him and love him. And we are, can you hear me okay? Is yeah. it still working? Okay. Yeah, it's breaking we up. had our fourth son. 
let me slow down. So we had our fourth son and named him Gavin after my, my brother-in-law, Gavin, uh, that had passed away. And this boy brought like so much joy into our lives and helped us, you know, just kind of fill the hole that Uncle Gavin left in, a, in his own little way. And we were him and how to live a good life. But this Gavin, he caught, um, he got a cough and it persisted for a long time. And we took him to the doctors and everyone said it was fine until one night it got so bad. We put him in like a little humidifier tent thing so he could breathe better. And then we ran, you know, to the, to the emergency room. And after a while of being in the hospital, cause we thought we'd be in and out of there like, like we had before. They found out that he had contracted a disease called pertussis, uh, also known as whooping cough. And we were like, oh, I mean, that's a thing of the past. It's, he's going to be okay. But no one knew. And it turned out that it was just too much on his little body. And I remember the night when they were going to, I don't know, they, said, they told us to stay the night. And we always would stay the night. But what they were saying was, it's serious. And there came a time where they said, do you want to, like, they basically said he's going to pass. Do you want us to bring in the crash cart and resuscitate him? It will be violent and he won't live, but we have to by law. Or do you want to hold him? And so we chose, after lots of thinking and praying about it, to hold him. And my wife and I, just kind of leaning over his bed, she on one side, me on the other, we just kind of promised each other that this terrible experience and what was happening right then wouldn't tear us apart as much as possible. Like we knew that these kind of things can destroy relationships, but we wanted to make us stronger to live better because of him. Anyways, they took off all the tubes and wires and I held them for a moment and handed them to my wife and just put my, my hand on his little heart there. And we just waited for those last beats until he slipped away. And it was, you know, the nightmare that every parent wishes they will never have to face. And what was interesting about that experience was not only was it horrifying, but like, what do you do after? Yeah. And my wife was holding the baby and we're just like, well, what, what do we do now? And this um, sweet angel of a nurse came and said, you know, can I hold him for you? <laughs> and uh, she kind of rocked him and uh, we left the hospital empty handed. And between those two Gavins that passed away, we, we got a new perspective on life that you have all these big picture dreams. You think you're going to wait until you're fully prepared to do them. But, but like, what if not? Like, right. what if you only have right now? And so someone asked, like, what did you learn from this experience? And um, I learned what, we, what I write about in my book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And really the reason behind the Ruckus List uh, YouTube channel was, what we call Gavin's law, which is live to start, start to live. Mm -hmm. Which means if you live to start those ideas that are pressing on your mind, you really will start living. Most people that don't like their lives or are having a hard time, they may also, there's all kinds of weird things, but they may be having thoughts, but they're scared to do them. But it's those who embrace that fear or crush it or whatever it is and do that thing, whether it works out or not, that find fulfillment and joy you know, in life. Absolutely. So the idea of the ruckus list is that a bucket list is a terrible way to live. Like, cause people will make this checklist and they'll wait till they're about to die to go do them. 
And so we're saying, don't do that. <laughs> do it right now. And here's how, and here's how you can make a living doing it at the same time if you want. So yes. there's a long story for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, that is so important for creators because I think a lot of us live either on the edge of, I know I want more, they're in a job or they're doing something else that is not necessarily re related to whatever creative field they want to go in, or they are doing a creative thing, but it's, they're down about it because it's not working out how they thought it would. They're on this long journey and they're like, wow, there's so much here that uh, I feel so behind. I'm comparing myself to this other person who's great and amazing. And it's like, we don't, we're not promised the next day, the next week, the next year. And so right. if you don't do it now, it's, it's such an important reminder of like, each day is a gift. And we actually recorded a video sort of along that line um, today about how you just have to go for it if that's really what you want to do. Yeah. And you can't be constantly kicking the can down the road for that dream. Well, it's back to the title of the book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. Subtitle is How to Crush Fear, Make Dreams Happen, and Live Without Regret. So that ties very much in with ruckus list. And I think a term that we often use is, you know, we're a bit of a ready, fire, aim kind of, you know, entrepreneurs sure. here. You know, we, we often, you know, we like the, sh the Seth Godin, just ship it kind of thing. And so, right. uh, you know, or the, the Reed Hoffman thing of if you're not embarrassed with your then you that kind of thing. So yeah, I know that you're all for that as well. How did you backing up? How did you decide? Where did you come up with that phrase? The power of starting something stupid. And how? When did you start decide to write the book? Good question. You know that video you mentioned uh, that I was doing where I was teaching. At that time, I had a book in mind, and I was working on the concepts that I was researching. But at that time, I think I was going to call it the power of start. Not stupid. The power of start. Yeah. And start. I knew the successful started things, and I created an acronym based on like history of what successful people did. And the acronym for start is is serve, think, ask, receive, and trust. S T A R T. But as I dug into the research, as I started doing it, and I also really like alliteration, you know, the S S S. <laughs> but but as I started digging into it. I realized that some of the most successful people, whether in business or activism or whatever the heck they're doing, they did something that someone once called stupid in one way or another. Like, that's crazy. You shouldn't do it. Someone else should do it. It's bad timing. It's not for you. It's ridiculous. Like, you have good stuff going on or you don't. You're not good enough. Like, whatever it was, it just wasn't a good idea mm -hmm. or it was a good idea and not, not good for you to do because it might mess up something else. Right. But these people that did that, they amassed amazing success or wealth or influence. And that really intrigued me. So I started digging into that a little more. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. And crazy was a word people would use a lot. Uh, he's crazy. Like Henry Ford was crazy. Gandhi was crazy. You know, the whole Apple thing was crazy. It's all crazy. Yeah. And I'm like what is this thing about crazy? If crazy, how could crazy be so good? <laughs> you know? And then I, that's what I realized is that, right? I realized that stupid is the new smart because 
all the smart people are doing the smart things. So the opportunity is where stupid lies. And it's not that it's inherently stupid. <laughs> it's that people are ignoring it because they're scared of something. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that, and it's a big part of my book, that creativity starts at stupid. Like, if you're doing something everyone else has done, how is that creative? <laughs> and so by doing something different, it's not necessarily an inherently stupid, but some might point the finger and go, that is ridiculous. Like, why are you, Picasso or Andy Warhol, why are you, like, doing these weird things that, like, a kindergartner could do with a crayon? You know what I mean? Like, why are you doing this stuff? It's like, I don't know, but they're going to love it in 100 years. You know, <laughs> I don't know. But, but whatever happens, you, you seek those opportunities. And in my mind, though, some people are like, well, I have so many stupid ideas. And I've kind of become the stupid idea guy over time. <laughs> and, and I realized, like, the, the, everyone always asks, which one do I start? Or I don't have one. What do I do? And I like to tell the story of Jeff Bezos, who started Amazon, who I think in this moment may be the richest man in the world or close to it or something like that, right? Kind of goes up and down. But um, he was working on Wall Street. I think he was, like, 30 years old or something like that. He, he had a good job. And he had this idea because he saw the internet growing. And he said, I want to sell books, like online. Like, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And his boss took him around. You can look it up. His boss took him around um, on a walk around Central Park for three hours, I think it said. And he said, yeah, it might be a good idea, but not for someone who already has a job. He had a great job. Yeah. And he, he asked himself this question. This is what I think creatives should ask themselves, too, is um, will I regret it when I'm 80? Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he told himself he would regret not trying this thing out when he was 80 in a rocking chair looking back on his life, right? So he left Wall Street in the middle of the year, which is not a good time to leave because those people lose their annual bonus, right? That, that's a big thing. And he just, you know, moved from New York to Washington and started this thing from his garage and look where it is. Now, at the same time, that could have completely failed. Like, it could have. Right. Um, and fortunately, it didn't because it's blessing all of our lives in different ways or not, depending on what side of the book business you're on and things like that. Right. But um, and everything else. But he would have lived in regret. Like if he hadn't done that, he'd still be on Wall Street probably wondering. Mm-hmm. It's worth sometimes the risk of failing because even if you fail and that whole concept of failing forward, it teaches you how to go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the same is with success. You either basically fail or you learn. And so I think with being creative and trying to do those things, you got to try it. At the same time, I don't think he was some dummy. It was just like throwing stuff on the wall. Like he got smart. He probably found mentors. He probably raised money. Like he found people. And so I think it's really important to also find mentors who have been there, done that, even if it's new in a different space, to, especially with creatives who don't understand the business model, maybe yeah. not, not always true, but it's good to have that someone to tell you, here's some things to think about as you move forward with this idea, depending on your goals. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of that gets back to um, sort of stop following the crowd. If something inside of you is egging you to do something that's really different, that's uh, against the current, against the grain, whatever it is. And um, because in, you don't remember 
we don't go throughout our day saying, oh, that average person doing that average thing that a hundred other people do. <laughs> that's amazing. That really stood out to me. We don't ever. That's a really good say, point. Yeah. You know. Really yeah. good point. You're so um, average. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> Nobody says that. We always go. <laughs> Like, it's always, wow, that was extraordinary, or that yeah. was amazing. And it's always that thing that somebody did, like you were mentioning, that everybody else was saying, oh, that's silly, that's crazy, that's for somebody else to do, not you, go back to your job, sit down, whatever it is. And it's sort of, it's almost like those are the clues. It's like, those are the clues, and that's what your book kind of talks about. Like, that is the clue. If everybody else is so against it, that might be... A thing to look towards. So I think as creatives, a lot of creatives are sometimes timid and scared about will this make it? Um, this is my one shot at you know X Y Z. And I know uh, people like Brendan Burchard and Gary Vaynerchuk, both of who I follow some online, talk about how they've spent time at um, retirement homes and such, and how the biggest thing that they learn from being in that environment is the regret that people have of like. I didn't do that thing when I had the chance to. And that is one of the saddest things I think. And that, can, but that can also be very motivating if you're listening to this and you're like, do I start or not? Yeah. Back to the, you know, 80 year old thing that you were talking about, Richie. So you have that yeah. blend of business sense. You're good with business. You have Akamai for, and for that. And then you're also, but you're also a creative, right? So like you create, like you write books. I know you write, um, what other kind of do you do any, and you, you're creating video, you teach, which that is a very creative endeavor and you're an excellent teacher, your speaker, um, and you're great at that. You're a storyteller. So, you know, you have that nice blend of the two. Um, it, it Thank what, you. yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Do you want to say anything on that? On any of those things? Yeah, no, that's good. What, when you were mentioning, people visiting retirement homes. It reminded me when I wrote the power of starting something stupid before that happened to my son and even my, my brother-in-law, I had been interviewing people in retirement or approaching retirement. And I asked them like basically what worked, what didn't work and what, what do you wish we would have done differently? And they all said something similar to this. I wish they said, I thought I would, need more time more education and or more money to do what i really wanted to do and so i waited until say retirement to go and do this thing they always dreamed of only to find out that when they got there they still needed more time more education more experience and more money and that's for a lot of different reasons like we always think we need more or the world changes or we change as a person and so i think it's really important to act on those so-called stupid ideas immediately and it doesn't mean you have to necessarily launch it immediately. You can at least noodle on it, you know, don't just yeah, put it up yeah. to the side. Um, so you can prepare because no one has enough. No one ever has enough. And it's actually cool to try and like scratch at it and figure it out. You know, the creativity comes from those limitations, right? Because yeah. we start figuring out how can I do it differently, even though I don't have everything I would want, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, no, it's no fun to do it if you have everything you want anyways. <laughs> that's to be a little hunting there <laughs> a little challenge <laughs> there you go um, but yeah my first so all my businesses okay I became an entrepreneur probably because I saw my dad as an entrepreneur but then I really got into it I lived in Brazil for two years and I saw people in I was in the northeast 
and there's a lot of poverty where I was. Not that like that everywhere, but where I was, there's a lot of extreme poverty. And I was near favelas, which are like slums. And I would meet these people, and they, but they didn't necessarily have the resources or the connections, the networks, to like get out of poverty. Right. And so I made it my mission. So I thought in my mind, in my mind before that, I thought when I retire, I would love to help serve and donate and help people get out of poverty. But then I thought, I asked myself, if you ask a better question, you get a better answer. I learned that from one of my mentors. And I asked myself, could I do what I would want to do in retirement right now? Like, that was the question. And the second question was, but how do I feed my family? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so then I, so my first business, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Is that working? Yeah. yeah. So my first business was actually a social venture where I helped a Mongolian family that I had met in Hawaii go home. Well, they had already gone back to Mongolia, but they wanted to create jobs there. And so I started a cashmere business in Mongolia. I knew nothing about cashmere. I knew nothing about Mongolia. They don't even have, when I went there, there wasn't even a McDonald's there. Like there's nothing, nothing, right? right. And, but it was in the doing that I was able to ask others. It gave me a reason to reach out to like really cool guru people who are doing amazing things. It gave me a reason to do it. And then I learned and I did it again with other companies in the Asia Pacific Rim. And then that got me like going. And then, you know, being in Hawaii, it's expensive. I started just doing whatever I could, random things. I mean, even when I was a student, I was selling Otter Pops to little kids so I could, you know, wash laundry until I figured some some parent might beat me up or something. But like, you just do what you got to do, right? To make it work. Um, and then I created some success and um, started doing real estate, started doing insurance, started just doing whatever I could to make, to make money. But I didn't want to forget that dream of let's keep doing what you want to do in retirement right now. And what and, I was still serving and helping people and doing what I could. What was that? Sorry. Um, what was that? For a second. Yeah, we're kind of, kind of. let's see if we can improve our Wi-Fi here. Just one second. Um, what was that dream? Okay. Were you going to get into that in a minute? or Because I don't want to disrupt your flow here. But I'm very interested in knowing. No, that's good. You want to? Yeah. So want to pause it and cut. I'll talk you tell me if you can yeah one second okay let's see this is better go ahead Richie so for uh -oh. for, for me uh, and a lot of my friends path to success went something like this they would say I'm gonna graduate from high school I'm gonna go to college I'm gonna probably get married I'm gonna have kids I'm gonna make a good living Maybe I'll be a millionaire by 40 or 50 or 60 if I'm lucky. Maybe 65, then I'm going to retire, and then I'm really going to do the things that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought, that's so weird because my dream was help people get out of poverty. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, if I let's say I'm 25. If I wait, let's say 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, if I wait 40 years, <laughs> 40 years yeah. to go and do this work, I mean, that's 
that's two generations, right? I'm going to be talking to great grandparents than I could have been talking to kids. You know what I mean? Like right. the same person over that time period, you know, potentially. And that's so, what you're teaching. That's what you were teaching at BYU, the presentation yeah. I heard this morning. And you, it was so amazing to consider how many lives were touched and potentially changed for the better if you took the leap sooner. Yeah, we can break that down. So let's say there's, there's someone in some country that I could have potentially helped today and help them essentially then affect their entire family tree. If you wait 40 years and this person got married and had kids and then their kids got married and had kids, assuming people have kids every 20 years, which isn't true, but you never know. Um, and they have brothers and sisters and all that. I mean, you're affecting two generations, which could be dozens of people. Right. And then, and all of them. And so when you finally go back 40 years later, you're now, if you're talking to that same person, it's, it's not, less, it's not less too late, but you missed a huge opportunity to help all those generations and what could have happened with all of the people they affect. Right. So when you combine that concept with, I could die tomorrow, you're like, I got to do something. I'm going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And so that was my dream really is to do a lot of, um, I don't know, social work internationally and play in that space. But when I realized I couldn't necessarily make money with that, I figured, how can I get into what's called social entrepreneurship? And where everything changed for me is I read a book called Banker to the Poor by Muhammad Yunus. And this book taught me about microfinance. That book changed my life. And that book changed the way I thought about business. And also thought about being self-reliant and also creating sustainable businesses that simultaneously help people, but can also feed my family at the same time. So a lot of my creativity has come in the form of business models and helping people. But in that, I've created books and speeches and, and online courses. And, you know, that's, that's my art. I come from a music background. Like when I was in high school, I was in a rock band. We had record deals you know what I mean? that was a thing that i would do i just love making stuff and now when people would ask me as i consulted them to help them create physical products and not just digital stuff everything came full circle because my first one of my first businesses was that cashmere company in mongolia so i had this experience and so now i have this company called product like you mentioned and i help people make stuff and it's not about what i know like their product is I expect them to know it and then our job is to help find those suppliers that are expert at that and we have people that speak Chinese and all that and just you know make it work so we make ideas basically we make them into physical things so whatever it is that you're creative at a lot of people have a, a struggle between their art and selling their art mm -hmm. and selling out right so if I'm an artist and video person or whatever I do, I should make whatever I want and they should buy it for tons of money if they're going to buy it. But I'm a sellout if I make it only, if I hate it and I make it only for money, right? So it's a struggle, but there has to be a balance. If you can give people what they want and sell them what they want, you'll be able to create the income to then be able to stand in a place where you have a huge audience and make them whatever you want, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and so it can go both ways. 
but at some point you have to realize what am I doing this for? Is it just for me or am I trying to add value to other people? And what does that look like? That's a really interesting point because I know for me, like I want, I'm one of my passions is fiction, writing novels and, um, the struggle with that sometimes is like you see all the popular things you see what's out there you see what's selling and in terms of like business advice it's like you see what's selling and you see how you can plug into that and how whatever you make and your mission how that can apply to what the marketplace is buying and then the artist side comes in and says but i really want to make this other thing that i don't really know if it's proven to sell or not and so that's a that's a really good point about sometimes you do need to do things that the market wants because the market tells you like, this is what I want. And that's not necessarily selling out because you can pour loads of artistic quality and your own flair into making things of value that people want. And I think the artist struggle is sometimes wrestling between I want to produce my quality thing that is my full 100% stamp of approval, but we can change that a little bit, the mindset to I'm going to bring value and my tremendous quality into whatever I produce out there because it's, it's still coming from me and people are buying it because they resonate with me somehow. So yeah. what do you do? It's like that. It, you, it's not, and it's not even about making a compromise. It's about sticking to your values and surviving too. That's true. I, I love what you said. I don't think it's a compromise. I think you can do both. And if you have a talent, why would you withhold that from the world if they're asking you for it? And like, what's the alternative? Like you're going to wait tables and that's, that's, that's glorified, like starving artist kind of thing. Like that's not art either, you know? So there's a, again, it's that ask a better question, get a better answer. How can I still stay true to my art and make money at the same time? Same question as me. How can I live the retirement lifestyle uh, of helping people like serving and those kind of things while doing it while I'm still a kid and just getting married and starting with kids, right? Like a better question will get you the answer. And sometimes it's hard to find it. It might take a few shots at it, but with that in mind, your mind is, is smart enough and strong enough to work towards that solution. Yeah. yeah. And you said something interesting. I would last, last night I was listening to your interview on Pat Flynn's podcast and you said something that was awesome. And it was for people who make products and who are, um, they have like anxiety or whatever around being ripped off. And you said, and I might butcher it, so sorry, but it was something along the lines of you can either, you can either be scared and not make your thing and because you're afraid that somebody is going to rip you off or you can make your thing and you can be successful at it. But if you're scared and you never put it out, then you're right back where you started. You've not made the thing. You've not helped anybody. You've not put yourself into the world and taken that leap of faith and vulnerability to do that. And I think that's important for artists too. Like if you choose because you're scared or because the market doesn't like you, you're still not providing value to the market. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, if you are afraid someone's going to steal it from you and you don't do it, you've already stolen it from the world, right? You've stolen it even from yourself. Yeah. Boom. And then I heard, yeah. One time my father-in-law told me, he said, he's in the book world. And he said, piracy is better than obscurity. Uh, mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so, nobody copies what's not there. Yeah. Nobody 
And nobody copies things that they don't like. They copy things that are cool. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good to be a pirate. I'm just saying, you know, like you got to look at it another way. <laughs> right. Well, I do have a, couple, a question because uh, I have wondered, and a lot of people talk about, you know, proof of concept and you do, do need to get your product idea out there. And yet there is the possibility, like how do you do that while still sort of protecting your domain name or the possible domain name? I guess you could buy that first. It's not very expensive. How do you um, get proof of concept while at the same time, because you can't have everyone sign in a non-disclaimer, you know, uh, yeah. agreement. So is there, do you have any, any kind of recommendations along those lines? I mean, here's some general rules of thumb, not a lawyer, but like if you patent and you do all those things and maybe you should, they're worthless unless you're willing to spend a ton of money defending them. So let's right. just remember that, right? Right. And um, which is fine. Go for it. So it depends on what level you're playing. But if you're just like starting and you're worried someone's going to rip it off, dude, let them rip it off and then make a story about them ripping you off and have it make you famous. You know what I mean? Like, like you just got to go for it. But as far as protecting it for yourself, you need to name it something unique. Like literally name it. Well, yeah, maybe it's the domain, maybe it's that. But I say Richie Norton's course on growing carrots. No one else in the world can have Richie Norton's <laughs> course on growing carrots. I don't have that course. But if I named it that, no one else could have it. It's mine. Now that's a bad example. But if you look like a, if you look at like another example, um, let's just say any brand in the world. I mean, how many diapers are there out there? They're probably all pretty much the same. Right. But now there's a million brands. So when you like, at some point, someone may, if you have a good idea, steal it. And it's perfectly legal in America to steal something and change it. I think the percentage is like maybe twenty percent different. Yeah. And now it's different yeah. enough that you can legally rip it off, like. It's going to happen. So the goal is either to be first or to be a really good follower. You know what I mean? Of someone else that was first and then make it yours by naming it something different, putting a new twist on it. It's just the way the world works. I mean, how many bicycles are there out there? You know what I mean? Like, are they all stolen? The guy who made the tire? They're not, you know? Right. So same thing with cars and anything you can imagine. Yeah. yeah but, but aside from all that, Seth Godin is, you know, a mentor of mine. I know you mentioned him. I love him. That whole idea of tribes, like you sell to your people. Like yeah. mm -hmm. you build an audience, build an email list, build a following. Like they don't even care if your neighbor is doing the exact same thing. They don't know your neighbor and they hate your neighbor for having the same thing. They only want to buy yours, yeah. right? So you want to create that warmth and intimacy with your people and you'll be okay. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of creatives um, would thrive because they're all about their uniqueness and originality. That's why they decided to start the thing. It's like because they have a unique angle to whatever they're creating and it's them and it's their, their heart and soul inside of whatever they're creating. And a lot of creators are very empathetic, intuitive, and they're about connecting okay. with them who get it, who understand, like, this is what I'm making, and I can tell that you get what I'm making. And so you're my people. And I think that if creatives use that to their edge, that they can really get ahead, even if they need a partner to help with the business side, the financial side, whatever, you know, just because you don't have that skill, 
you have so much else to offer the world. That's true. It's so true. I, ha I know a guy right now who does some really cool stuff, and he's being ripped off over and over and over again. They're taking his exact same website, putting their own – it's terrible. But what he's doing is he's telling everybody what's happening. And then all of his fans are saying – are sharing it and saying, look how bad these guys are. It's actually helping him <laughs> because he's leveraging it that way. Um, but at the same time, if you're a true creative, you don't have one idea. Right. Right. You have a million ideas. Yeah. And it's not about the idea right now. It's about the next idea. It's yeah. always about the next idea. There's always a new opportunity in the future. If you steal my stuff now, steal it. I'm going to make something way better tomorrow. Yeah. You know? And so I have that kind of like grit and be like, steal it. I'll either crush you or I'll, you know, in real life, or I'm going to crush you by yeah. being something better. You know what I mean? Like you just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I love your attitude towards all of this. And that's the mindset that a successful creator needs whether you're doing it for money whether you're doing it for hobby whatever the reason that's the mindset like tomorrow i'm gonna show up and make something better and on that note as a creator yourself um how are you generating all that energy because you're all over the place on social media and people can literally feel i know i can i can like feel your enthusiasm every time you make a post every time you do a video like you like put everything into what you do and it's so apparent. So where do you generate that energy? I mean, besides well, just the fact you live in paradise. Can't, can't complain. Um, no, no, I, I appreciate that. It, it's, it's not, it's not forced. Like I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah, like yeah. I love it. And if someone is, is maybe more introverted or this or that, you don't have to be that crazy weird person that I am. Like, just do your thing, you know, be yourself. If you love that thing, it'll come out that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is, Oh, in the beginning, like trying to figure it out and put it out there and who am I and what are they going to think? But the real answer is you can only worry about what you can control. Everything else is just a distraction. Like I can't control what they're going to think of my stuff, but I can control like, like working right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you just put it out. And then, you know, if someone, we live in a digital age, so if someone doesn't like it, freaking block them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> right. right. I think you're, I think your wife, is your wife's name Natalie? Yeah, Natalie. Yeah, I think I, I saw her uh, video on Ruckus List talking about that same kind of concept, you know, basically don't let the, the fear of what others will do stop you kind of thing. Um, I wanted to ask about, so, so since many of our audience currently are visual artists, although over time we're hoping that more inventor types, you know, product creators will come on as well um, because we're about I create daily, whatever that may be, whether you're a coder or a painter or a photographer or a speaker, it's about creating something, creating content. So I know that your company, product.com um, is, oh, sorry, product is, you help people outsource to China from beginning to end and get the whole thing done. And that's what basically stops many people from doing things. You also teach about the concept. In fact, you spoke about that in the Pat Flynn podcast, as well as on the EO Fire podcast, where, which we will link to both of those, where you talk, give a little bit of a teaching on how people can look into products that are selling and maybe come up with their own, come up with their own white label. So my question is more... That kind of concept is out there and it's being done a good bit. 
where it seems that creative struggle, like you said, is finding people to buy their stuff. And I know that there's a tribe, we can build the audience, etc. What I'm wondering is of the products that you're getting sourced to China, uh, two things or two questions. One is, are any of those based on people's original creations and inventions as opposed to white labeling a similar kind of product? And then the other side of that is, um, are any, are you doing any helping of outsourcing to the, within the U S or North America? So that's, that's two pronged. Sure. Good question. So, uh, we don't do a lot of white label, um, where you just kind of have an existing product and put a stamp on it. Um, if we do that though, that's no, that normally does happen in the U S it's usually in small quantities. It's merch. It's just for an event. It's whatever. Um, usually stuff we do overseas is extremely custom, like John Lee Dumas's book, which you saw like faux leather, the gold, the emboss, like you just, you, we even tried to do it in America and they were saying it was going to be $80 per book. And we're like, it's, it's impossible. Like who's going to buy that thing? You know, <laughs> and, you know, and he retails it now for only 35 bucks. I think it is right now, whatever it is. But so the stuff overseas is extremely, extremely custom. What's cool is. I mean, anybody can make anything. And so your real question is like, how do you sell it? Right? How do people, how do you know what people are going to buy? And th there's two ways. One is you like make it and share it and see if people buy it, which is a little more like fishing, you know, like let's just see if they're going to get it. Or you can be a little more strategic and just ask your people what they want. So I'm a huge fan of just doing a survey and saying, Literally, what's your name? What's your email? Make all is required. If you could ask me anything, what would it be? If you could buy something from me, what would it be? What did you buy around this thing in the last, you know, two years? How much do you spend? I don't know. Whatever the questions are, if you get enough people, and you can incentivize people to fill it out with giving something away for free, $100 gift card to Amazon or Nordstrom or whatever. Uh, if you can get 100 people to fill that out, 1,000 people to fill it out, you now have a list of people who have told you exactly what they want to buy and then you then you give it to them yeah i mean it, it makes it so much more simple and then with that cash flow you can get a little more risky a little more creative and start saying if they liked that would they like this and then you survey them you know and this is this is business right this isn't necessarily just creating a piece of art it's going to go somewhere this is like do they want to actually buy this thing from me ask them it makes it so much more easy <laughs> in fact I mean, that's how I started my businesses. Like I wrote a book and then people started asking for help and I'm like, well, what do I do with this? So it was like phone consults, meeting in person. It got overwhelming. And how much can you charge? Like, where's the cap on this? And there's only so many hours in the day. It became a job. Mm -hmm. So then I got into online courses where I can sell it for any amount I want, high or low. And it can be to as many people as I market it to. But I ask them what they want first, then I make that thing, and then I sell it back to them. It's the same way Proudic was created. I didn't ever think I was going to be making this stuff. I make mermaid tails. I make books. I make teepees. Like I, I make, I make yoga pants. I don't know what's going on, but it's because someone said I want to make physical products. Can you help me? And I'm like, mm, that sounds like fun. And yeah, I can. So let's do this. Yeah. Right. So sometimes you just ask your people what they want or they'll even better, they'll be already be asking you for stuff. Mm. So you don't punish the market. You just, and if you, if, if you like it and you can help, why not do it? 
Yeah. And for me, one of my boundaries is, it's not perfect, but one of them is my goal is, can I do it from my cell phone? Mm. And so my business is I can do from my cell phone. I don't want to sit in front of a computer. I don't want to be stuck somewhere. I don't want someone to tell me what I can do, what not do. I, I want to be anywhere, you know, so that ruckus thing started with that six-month road trip, you know, coast to coast, border to border. Every dollar we spent on the road is made on the road from our cell phone. I'm talking to you on a cell phone right now. <laughs> and so I try to make these things because of technology fit the lifestyle I want. Cause I don't want my business to become my boss. I'm yeah. the boss. That's so true. That's a good point too. Cause a lot of people, they get into the thing and then they're like, I've, I'm now a slave to my business. I'm an employee and this is literally what I wanted to leave. And now not only am I an employee, I'm a 24 seven employee instead of a nine to five employee, but at least you're doing the thing you like doing, right? At least you're putting in the time of the thing that you enjoy. But then it's about, um, I forget who else said this, but you're the second person I've heard talk about create the lifestyle, know the lifestyle you want and continually work on how you can, integrate that lifestyle that you want today into what you do like we're doing this interview outside because we enjoy being outside we're in a climate where we enjoy being outside yeah. we deliberated uh, like how do we set up the perfect studio that looks amazing and blah, blah 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 what room do we use in the house what do we need to buy and then we're like well we have a great table and the weather's nice outside and it's unique because how many people do podcasts yeah. outside right yeah. and yeah. so it's like you start doing and for us this is like the coolest studio for us because we enjoy it this is our environment yeah. and so it's where it's how do you integrate at a smaller scale, what you want to do at a bigger scale, which gets back again to what you were saying earlier. How do you do the retirement thing now? Yeah. I want to clarify just a little bit the question on um, outsourcing and the artists and inventors. I know that on the Pat Flynn podcast, for instance, you were talking about giving people an idea of how they could come up with a product. So you were using the idea of a, a, a fishing rod, for instance, or fishing lures or something. You shared a story about, you know, a factory in China out in the boondock somewhere, um, and they were making these fishing reels, a rod and reel, or, or I'm not sure if it was a lure or a rod, I don't remember. But they Yeah, they were, I think that one was, it was, it was all those things, okay. but what you're referring to in this story was the, the reels. Right. <laughs> yeah. The reels. And, you know, you were asking them, well, how do you know it works? You know, how do you know that this is going to be a good fishing reel? And they said they didn't know because they didn't even have a fishing hole anywhere nearby. And they were making yep. exactly according to the specifications of the ideator. Yep. The inventor yep. creator. And that in that case, you know, many people, as we know, on Amazon, find products that um, have reviews that are and find out the things that are wrong with some of those products and then they improve upon them so they add their own creative creativity yes. they're not you know they are modeling you know it's they're stealing like an artist you know they're modeling it and then they're adding their own twist to it so yeah. that like you say whatever percentage is required by law for it to not be a knockoff is taken care of so they are adding their creativity what i'm wondering is more like let's say that it's an, an artist who is a potter you know do, have you worked with anybody who has you know creates like with their hand or a visual painting or photography uh, photographer or whatever their potter though and they've created the perfect and then you take their prototype to china and get it get it created in mass have you done things like that yeah specifically there's a guy i don't know if we ever ended up finishing this one but we started on it he had a clay whistle like it was like a Native American whistle or something, something really cool. 
And he was making them by hand and selling them really well, and he wanted to scale it. And we're like, I mean, at that point, we're like, well, is this a mold? And now we're making it out of plastic. Or do we need to get a bunch of people to make these by hand in China? You know, so at some point you have to decide, right? But yeah. it's totally possible. Yeah. You know, um, an artist, this is not like unusual. They're going to have one painting, the Mona Lisa. It's rare. It's extremely unique. No one can buy it. It's priceless or it's worth millions of dollars. But you can, you can like, you can buy a print of it for $10 anywhere, anytime you want. Right. So you just have to kind of decide yeah. how you want to do it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that makes sense. Well, Richie, we've kept you much longer than we should have. And it, because it's so wonderful talking with you, if you have just another minute, I would like to hear um, how, if you guys are still homeschooling and if so, if, if what are you doing to raise your children entrepreneurial in the way that you were raised as creatives or entrepreneurs? Cool. So we've, so, okay. So we got into homeschooling. We've always debated, you know what I mean? Back and forth. And we're not, it's not always has to be homeschool. We're not that, we're not completely like, this is the way it has to be. But we had some foster kids, three, seven year old girl and two, and then one year old twins. And they're beautiful, Cuban, Dominican, awesome, awesome, awesome. We had him for two years, thought we were going to adopt him, didn't work out. Um, we were super sad about it. And we that's when we left um, and went on this big, long road trip for six months that I had mentioned, just to kind of huddle up as a family. And we were gone so long that we just didn't want to go back to school. Like, we didn't want to, like, like leave our family and do this thing. And so we called it road school or, or hack school, as they, I think it was a TED Talk about it. And it was basically... I mean, you know, whatever they got to learn, they got to learn. But we tried to base it around their interests. So, like, if they're interested in, I don't know, horses, let's go hang out with a horse and learn. You can learn anything hanging out with the horse. History, math, science. Yeah. It just depends what you want. So, all the same lessons can be learned, in my mind, around things people are interested in. It doesn't have to be just boring stuff. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we went to where Abraham Lincoln was born. Like, you know, we, we went and had canadian thanksgiving in canada like we did these things you know it was we went to mexico we, we rode horses on the beach in mexico yeah. but so that's kind of what we did now um in hawaii we let our kids kind of decide like do you want to do homeschool or do you want to not and so like our one that's in sixth grade he wanted to finish sixth grade at sunset elementary school because that's a really cool place with lots of cool surfer kids and it's fun um our one in seventh seventh grade he, um, he wanted to do homeschool, and we actually hired, it was not just me and Natalie, we hired um, a teacher, and some other North Shore parents hired a teacher, and they meet at a house yeah. and learn stuff, and nice. they learn math by making surfboards. Like, it's awesome. Wow, that's it, very cool. And then my one, um, he was, who's a ninth grader, he was going to do homeschool, but then he did some cool summer camps and realized it was fun to hang out with kids his age and not just his mom and dad all day long. And, and now he's doing that. So we kind of let, let them have a choice, but in our mind, we're not relying on the public education system to educate them. We're just saying, cool, like go learn. But what's important to us in addition to education is kindness, leadership, being generous, you know, character development, and we'll teach them stuff they need to learn too, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think anyone has to be in a box. 
And I think that depending on what you want to learn, I mean, if you're like me, you don't remember anything from high school. You barely remember anything from college or even my MBA. You just, you learn by doing. And so it's more important to learn how to think and how to be a good, decent citizen of the world, <laughs> you know, and you're going to learn the important stuff on the job. And it's not exact, it's not exact science that way, but that's, those are our feelings on it. <laughs> no, we totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story, your enthusiasm. You're such a bright light in the world. And thank you for that as well. Um, do you have any parting comments that you'd like to say for creators on the concept of the courage to create art daily? Um, I just want to say, if you're watching this, you should do whatever Devani is doing. She is freaking amazing. She is. She has learned at whatever age she is how to like be a normal person, a cool person, how to reach out to influencers. She's, she likes her mom. She's hanging out with her mom. She's learning by doing. Like She is what you should be right now. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you so much. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Richie. Yeah, you're welcome. You guys are cool. Thank you. Bye. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.